0: Listening to Command and Signal.
1: Hey, folks, I'm Sheely House. You're listening to Command and Signal. This is a limited run podcast about vets, propaganda, patriotism, and some other bullshit. Today's episode is about race. (coughs) Now, I know that this is scary. I know that nobody wants to talk about this because, God forbid, you say the wrong thing and then everybody goes, oh, they're a racist. Um, But it's important, so we need to confront this. And if we say something wrong, if you say something wrong, if I say something wrong, if anyone says something wrong, it is what it is. Just somebody will correct us, and we'll learn, and we'll grow, and we'll move on. But we need to actually have this discussion, okay? Okay. Now, I've got Mo Brown on the phone. He is a black veteran, and we're just going to get to the bottom of this shit. Do do people that are, are part of the Black Lives Matter movement hate vets? You know, not even normal. Awesome. We did it. We solved racism. That's our show, everybody. Have a good night. Obviously, we've got more to discuss than just that the enemy of
2: the black lives matter movement is white supremacy. Like we're not going to divide up, you know, white supremacy into small groups. The whole thing has to go <laughs> like, whether it's the T.E. Torches, the T.E. Torch movement in, uh, Charlottesville or, you know, like mm-hmm. all of white supremacy has to go and everything that supports it. And, um, you know, race racial, Racist undertones that support it definitely have to go. So, like, if if you are a veteran that is supporting white supremacy, the problem isn't that you are a veteran. The problem is the support for white supremacy.
1: All right, folks, this is a big topic. So let's start small. What is race and racism? So let's hear from some veterans. Race. What is race? What is
3: race? Race is, uh... I feel like questions these days like that want to make me say things like, oh, you know, it's the differences between us
2: as people. You know, some people look like this or do this, and some people do that. But I don't get that. Basically um race is a social construct um i feel like it is one way that humans have tried to make sense of the world think that it's a scientific definition race is and you know we are of the human race and all of us are of the same kind of human
3: so i'm not sure um your skin color or nationality Uh, Racism is discrimination based off your skin color or nationality.
1: Uh, Race has been used to organize society in a way that advantages some, but disadvantages others.
2: I guess I just kind of have the textbook definition in a sense of just racism being the discrimination of somebody based off of their race.
1: And that part sucks. Well, that's sort of right. In the book Racial Formation in the United States, uh, Howard Winnett and Michael Omi defined race as a, quote, concept which signifies and symbolizes social conflicts and interests by referring to different types of human bodies. In effect, people look different from us, so we defined that difference as race. Of course, that doesn't exactly make race a real thing. You see, back in 1776, which was a big year for some people, Johann Friedrich Blumenbach decided to try and codify race as five different groups, Caucasian, Mongolian, Malayan, Ethiopian, and Amer. And of course, Caucasian was considered superior. Don't like. Now, early founding fathers used this line of thinking to try and justify slavery while still espousing a natural right to freedom. That's bullshit. Now, racial and ethnic descriptors have been applied and changed throughout history for political expediency. An example of this can be seen in 1920, when people from Mexico were labeled as white, but then declared not white in 1930 due to a rise of anti-immigrant sentiments, and then white again in 1942 when we needed them for labor. And of course, we have the infamous one-drop laws in our country, where if you have even a drop of African ancestry, you were deemed black by Jim Crow laws. And all of this, of course, is describing racism. Now, I'm sure someone is sitting at home going, I'm not saying anyone is inferior, but you can see race. It's biological. Well, if we look at the biology, that's a bunch of bullshit. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. See, when we try to sort people by race in a genetic sense, we begin to see no real rhyme or, or order. That's because genetic variation in people is so unbelievably vast. There is no real way to uniformly delineate one genetic race over another. In fact, one can even ascribe health outcomes tied to race to other factors such as environment, culture, socioeconomics. So in effect, we made that shit up because people look different, and different is scary. But if there's no genetic race, then oh boy, I can hear some folks' wheels turning towards some real shitty places right now.
0: You know, I was thinking it, and then you fucking said it. And then-
1: Pump the brakes, Cletus. Despite there being no genetic race, race still exists. But rather than being strictly a genetic thing, it's a complicated combination of personal and social identity, physical appearance, cultural dogma, and exists as both an antiquated and liberating idea of social consciousness. And, and there's, quite frankly, there's even more to it. But I'm just some white asshat that's sitting here and trying to poorly define it. Uh, so I think what's really important is we just understand one simple fact. Race is not genetic, but it does exist. Okay, that's all we need to know. That's that's literally. Is it more complicated than that? Yes. But if that's all we know, are we in a good place? I think so. We're doing all right. We're doing better than we were. All right. So why are we talking
3: about all this? Well, the Russians. Good afternoon, Chairman Takano, Ranking Member Dr. Rowe and the distinguished members of the of this committee. We at Vietnam Veterans America and I personally are deeply grateful for your decision to hold this hearing and for your commitment to ensuring that America addresses foreign-born cyber threats against service members, veterans, uh, our families, and survivors. My name is Christopher Goldsmith, and I am the Chief Investigator and Associate Director for Policy and Government Affairs at VVA. VVA gave me the title of Chief Investigator out uh, Out of Necessity. I took on this additional role when VVA came to realize that we were facing a series of foreign-born online imposters who were creating social media accounts and websites that were meant to trick our members and supporters. These imposters were, and still are, using the name and brand of our con- congressionally chartered VSO to spread actual fake news that is meant to inflame national divisions.
1: So what was the biggest way that foreign powers got vets jimmies all riled up That was old boy Kaepernick. According to the VVA Troll Report, they wrote that Colin Kaepernick is, quote, a favorite target of foreign admins who wish to exploit and amplify conflicts between Americans of different backgrounds and political persuasions. End quote. Old boy from San Fran got retired sergeant majors in Arkansas just, just a little jacked up. But why? He wasn't protesting veterans. And in fact, his method of protest was suggested by a veteran. Green Beret and former 49er Nate Boyer is the one who told Kaepernick that taking a knee would be respectful of veterans while still making his statement. He sort of came to a middle ground where he would take a knee alongside his teammates. Soldiers take a knee in front of a fallen brother's grave, you know, to show respect.
0: To be said, I think that would be I think I think that would be really powerful. And
1: And yet still folks insist he's anti vet he's disrespecting veterans, despite us all knowing what his intentions are and the fact that they're quite the opposite. And the words you see on your screen read, quote, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing
2: everything. I'd like to take a moment to remind Nike executives sacrificing everything looks like it's not a multi-millionaire social justice warrior whose greatest feat of bravery kneeling on a football field and wearing those socks against our police officers. Instead,
1: those who sacrifice everything can be found on the ground in Afghanistan as we speak. What is the disconnect? What what's reality here? So, I thought to myself, I should ask someone what's going on, someone smarter than me, someone who will understand this from several different angles, someone who's black, someone who's existed in that space their whole life, someone who's also a veteran, so they understand that sphere too, and someone who has the academic and professional background to make sense of all of this. So I called Mo. Yeah, remember Mo from the beginning? His full name is Maurice Brown. He's a black veteran from upstate New York that holds a degree in communications with a minor in political science from Syracuse University and works in community organizing and activism. So, Mo knows what the hell he's talking about. Let's listen to Mo. How about we start with you? Just give me a little bit of of background about yourself. Okay. Uh, My name is Maurice Brown. Friends call me Mo.
2: I... Um, I'm a veteran. I am a homeowner in Syracuse, New York. I was a military police officer in the United States Army Reserve from 2012 to 2020. I deployed twice to Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Um, I'm very involved in politics. I am currently managing a campaign for the 125th assembly district in New York state. Amazing woman named Anna Kellis.
1: You know, when we were talking uh, over Twitter and then, and then on email, I was describing, you know, this podcast, I'm, I'm calling it Command and Signal, is um, okay. Is a podcast that's going to try and go over propaganda that's aimed at veterans. And I'm using the Vietnam Veterans of America's report on said international propaganda that's really kind of coming from a, often the, the Russians that is aimed at just creating instability, just getting people all upset. And one of the biggest, um, I guess, wedge issues that was being exploited over the, the last couple of years was the case of, of, of Colin Kaepernick. And they were using mm-hmm. uh, race a lot to make, just to get people riled up. And so I, I, I want to start mm-hmm. super basic. I want to do this by the numbers, Barney style. Okay. What, what is Race. To me, race
2: is my background, it's my heritage, it's what, you know, it's the world lens that I was raised in, it's my culture, it's my family's history, it's, you know, where I come from, but it's, you know, the skin that I'm in, because, you know, as an African American, as a black person, my race is, you know, African American, as my ancestors migrated from the south after being brought here on slave ships
1: there's this old i'm sure you've heard it this old saying that people throw around uh i see it often on on facebook um where they throw on these memes that say like there's no race there's no color in the military there's only green um Mm -hmm. is is that true in your experience or or is there racism in the military
2: Oh, there's definitely racism in the military. And uh, I actually have heard heard that adage as well, where we're all green. I disagree with it, though. And so, like, to ignore race is to ignore someone's, you know, like, ignoring someone's race would be as irresponsible as ignoring someone's height or ignoring someone's, you know... Just it's something about you that has shaped how the world has seen you your entire life. So to say that, you know, we're the same or everyone's the same is just silly. Someone who's six eleven has a very different world view than someone who's five two. Just as someone who's, you know, African American or Asian has a very different worldview. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's definitely different. And that different is okay, but In the military, a lot of the people who join the military come from places where there's no, not to say that there isn't a race issue, but to say that race isn't an issue because most of the place they come from, there's only one race. Like if you come from somewhere where there's very little people of color, there's very little black people, you've never had to deal with black people before. So to you, you'll be able to say something like, I don't see color or... You know, I I never noticed someone's race, but that's because it's not affected you. Whereas, you know, me, someone who was born in New York City, grew up around many different races, many different times. Race has always been, you know, a big thing in my life. Not necessarily saying that it's bad or good that, you know, everyone's different, but it's just that it's different
1: so, um, that leads me then to the question of um, why do you think that there are folks that try to whitewash the military as this kind of post racial utopia and then even further, I think the second second half of that question would be, is there do you interpret there to be potentially maybe?" malicious intent and, and and the fact that people are trying to portray the military as this just this this universe absent, you know, color, race, the historical rhetorical situation that is living in the United so States.
2: So in my opinion, I think that happens because like the military is viewed so favorably in our country, going back to, you know, world wars and the soldiers in the military, they've always been seen as like heroes and people that you aspire to be. So like if you accept that the military, that soldiers, that Marines are these, you know, holier than thou heroes that the normal American conscience can not accept that these may be, you know, people of color. These may be black people. These may be Arab American that doesn't fit the, the mold. So instead of saying like that's a black soldier, it's just easier for people to say that's a soldier. You know, you just erase that identity. That way you don't have to put that positive connotation on it. That way you can just say, you know, he's not black. He's a soldier. He's doing good. Despite him being black, despite him being Asian. It's just that he's a soldier. It's basically an erasure where like you want to minimize someone's you know different experience so that it, it fits the mold and uh it, it makes sense i get it i don't like it i disagree with it but you know that's the army and also with the army where you know the army militaries everywhere they want to you know eliminate all divisions like one team one fight and race is very divisive so you'll have a lot of units that don't want you to Talk about your differences in race, your differences in religion, your differences in, you know, political background, and they want to just normalize it, just streamline it to fit one mold. And, uh, it's unfortunate because our differences can be our strengths, but this is, you know, this is the world we live in.
1: Well, thank you. That was a really thoughtful, thoughtful answer that, um, that uh that went to a different place than I was expecting to begin with but I think that um it was smarter than where my brain was going um so the the next question I have then is is if we know that um the military is not this you know post racial utopia if we know that 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 all exists within the military if we know that 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 racism exists in the military I know that this next question is going to be Really loaded and and I apologize for Mm -hmm. it But I think it's the obvious It's the next question that I think the audience is going to have Which is um, What's it like to be black In the military
2: Um, It's hard I hated. it, I wouldn't trade So I deployed twice My first deployment was as a lower enlisted My second was as a non-commissioned Officer I was a sergeant, I made sergeant so during my first deployment, I was in a military police unit, mostly white, and I'm, you know, a soldier of color. And it's tough. It, you, you find yourself in a lot of uh, awkward situations where you realize that you're like, allies don't have the same worldview as you And like people you consider friends, they don't see, they don't perceive reality in the same way you do. So I was deployed for my first deployment while I was deployed stateside. The Mike Brown situation was happening in Ferguson and, you know, that whole um, incident with the riots and that whole thing. So like we would have discussions as soldiers and I would say my piece and I would be looked at very differently, but like, I I get it, I've lived in communities like that. I know people like Mike Brown. I could have been Mike Brown and it to to hear the like malice and the animosity that some people claim, you know, for my you know, could be family, it 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 sucked. Like I really didn't like it. I had a really bad experience as a black soldier lower enlisted. Now when I became a non-commissioned officer, it did get better. It was, it wasn't as oppressive. It was more just uncomfortable where like, I still disagreed with a lot of people, but because I had rank, it wasn't that, um, it wasn't as, you know, you're wrong. Shut up. You don't know anything. You're just a private. It was more like a civil disagreement, but my first deployment, being that I had a different opinion and that I was law enlisted, it it sucked. <laughs> it sucked a lot.
0: Yeah.
2: Um I don't know if I would do the army again. I'm very glad that I did it, but I got out because I couldn't be a black soldier. I just there was too much at play. There was too many dynamics that I just weren't I was not comfortable with it and I'm still not comfortable with. It. And I don't I'm, I'm at a point in my life where I don't think I need that, whereas, you know, eight years ago, I did.
1: Yeah. I, I um, that's a pretty powerful sentence to say. I got out because I couldn't be a black soldier. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, um, that doesn't leave any meat in the bone. Um, so you, you mentioned, uh, that the, I, I don't really know if there's an official name for it, but the, the, um, the shooting in ferguson of um of mike brown happened when you were on your first deployment and yeah. that there were a lot of soldiers that were saying things that um there were a lot of soldiers that, the other soldiers that had a lot of animosity uh for the 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 black community in in ferguson and it I mean, I I know that you can't really speak for them, but that does beg the question: why why do they have so much animosity? I
2: don't know, I don't know. So uh, a good amount of soldiers. This I haven't done the data, <laughs> I haven't done the numbers. So this is just a uh, theory that I have. Let's call it theory. Yeah, I think that the person, the type of person that the army attracts, it's not someone who comes into it with you know, shaped worldviews and social training and, you know, it's not someone who's been exposed to various cultures. And because of that, you take these people who are, these people who have not been around different places. These are not people who have traveled a lot. These are not people who, you know, experienced different cultures and then you put them all together and they all, you know, this is now, this is their only experience outside of, what they've known their whole life. And what they've known their whole life is, for lack of a better term, racism. Mm-hmm. America's a pretty racist culture. Um, most of the place, <laughs> most of America is pretty racist and you have a lot of people coming from pretty racist places and now you put them together and they create their own culture and they're being trained and led by people who, again, come from this racist culture. So it's just a, a bad combination. And, uh, it's definitely a problem that needs to be fixed. However, it's not one that I'm going to fix or that I want to fix. Mm -hmm. It's just not my fight.
1: I can already hear some, (laughs) some good old boy howling, um, about, about, about that. Um, when you talk about, sorry, sorry good old boy. You. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like I can already yeah, hear that. Sure. I can already hear them being upset about what you said. And, mm-hmm. and I think part of that might be, maybe they weren't, they heard what they wanted to hear. And so mm-hmm. two to said, good old boy, um, are you making a character moral indictment on these people? Or are you <laughs> saying that they don't know any better?
2: It's more like they don't know any better. If you take a fish out of the fish tank and, you know, put it, and, like, all it knows is the fish tank. Like, it's not your fault for never having, you know, witnessed Brooklyn culture or Los Angeles culture because you've never been to Brooklyn or Los Angeles. Like, I can't fault you for only have lived in, you know, your your... But like, there's no reason you would have ever needed the social skills to, you know, deal with other cultures. Like, it's not your fault. You don't know how to deal with cultures. You've never had to, and more than likely, you know, won't have to. And it's not to say that someone's worse because they don't have those skills, but you should definitely acknowledge that, Mm -hmm. you know, if you've never... I held a bat and swung out a baseball. <laughs> You're not going to be a good batter. <laughs> There's no way around that. You have to practice those skills. And then the same way with, you know, people who come from middle America and now they have to deal with, you know, racial, racial tones that are just
1: unfamiliar and uncomfortable. So I'm going to ask you, um, We you know, we mentioned um, Ferguson, which, I'm under the impression that it existed before Ferguson. Black Lives Matter existed before Ferguson. Um, but came to the forefront at Ferguson, and then of course you have you have Kaepernick's protest of taking a knee during the national anthem. So I'm just going to hit you with two questions here. I know that you might be speaking for other people, and I know that that's that's an issue in and of itself. But for our listener again, I know that they're going to they have a certain viewpoint right now. So like for example. There is an attempt when we talk about that uh, that propaganda campaign being waged by foreign governments to try and pit people against each other. One of the one mm-hmm. of the most salient things that they've been doing is trying to characterize the Black Lives Matter movement as anti-veteran. Do do people that are are part of the Black Lives Matter movement hate vets?
2: No, not even normal like that. So this is actually a joke that Chris Rock said. <laughs> but uh the like sentiment of it r- remains the same where like the enemy of the black lives matter movement is white supremacy. Like we're not going to divide up you know white supremacy into small groups. The whole thing has to go <laughs> like whether it's the tiki torches, the tiki torch movement in uh Charlottesville or you know like All of white supremacy has to go and everything that supports it. And, um, you know, racial, racist undertones that support it definitely has to go. So, like, if, if you are a veteran that is supporting white supremacy, the problem isn't that you are a veteran. The problem is the support for white supremacy. So, like... You can be a doctor that supports white supremacy and like Black Lives Matter isn't gonna wanna get rid of doctors. Like <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> your, your occupation isn't what we dislike. We dislike the support for white supremacy. Also I wanna say I was uh deployed for Colin Kaepernick as well. I was deployed from uh I was Avon Bay, that was when I was there as a non commissioned officer. So I was another repentant, I got to view through the lens of a uh, Deployed
1: soldier Well uh, I guess then That brings up Two questions First one would be um, Do you think That Colin Kaepernick Hates veterans And then the second One would be What was yeah. it um, What was it like uh, For you when, when When everything With Colin Kaepernick Was going down
2: um, No I don't think That he hates veterans um, That would be silly <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I should have to ask him But that would be That doesn't go With anything He said um one. Two, being there during that was, uh, it was in enlightening lightning period. It wasn't as cutthroat. Well, it did help that I was a senior enlisted, not a senior enlisted, that's way too high, but that I was a non-commissioned officer. I was a junior non-commissioned officer. I was a sergeant, E-5, in the army. So, like, people would at least hear me out. <laughs> but, it was actually discussion. It was um arguments, but it wasn't as, like, black and white because with him, he was protesting and a good amount of veterans or a good amount of the soldiers that I served with acknowledged his right to protest. And while they disagreed with what he was protesting about, I heard from a bunch of people like, you know, they would say things like, I don't know if I have to censor myself on this podcast. You <laughs> <But> they, would, <laughs> okay, they would say things like, what he's fighting for is stupid as shit, but it's his right to fight for it. And like, I'm okay with that. Like we would discuss why you think it's stupid as shit, but people weren't, you know, necessarily mad at him for protesting. And for me, I'm that it's like a happy medium, but like he has the right to protest full stop. Like that is, in the kind of like the word right to protest, <laughs> like yeah. in the constitution, <laughs> like but specifically this, he has a right to do, and people were okay with that. But then, where the more uh trial, the more hardness came in, was when we would discuss what he's protesting and you know what white supremacy actually is, and that's where it got trickier because white, white supremacy is based like it's so entrenched in the American way of life. It's so much of what we are, where, you know, we live in this casino capitalist society and if you go against white supremacy, it's hard to distinguish what's white supremacy and what's American. And Mm -hmm. you know, that was a far more complicated conversation, but it was it was a, it was it was an interesting time to say the least i didn't hate that experience obviously i wish um it didn't happen like this like i wish he would have been able to just protest peacefully and you know not get threatened by the president or the uh candidate for president at the time and you know i wish there was a more amicable solution versus making him into a villain and blackballing him when you know at the time, he was one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. But, you know, you live and experience things.
1: I just want to throw something out, too, actually, because when you said better quarterback mm-hmm. in the NFL, again, I hear a good old yeah. boy howling that he was a bad quarterback. <laughs> so one thing mm-hmm. I always like to bring up for people is is that in Colin Kaepernick's last season in the NFL, let me let me pull up these. Mm-hmm these stats here real quick. like 17-4. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. his, his, <laughs> he was doing good. I mean, they, they weren't winning, but they also had a bad team. I don't know what to tell you. Terrible team. <laughs> yeah. They had like the number one pick the next year. <laughs> like, not a, his fault. They had a terrible team and yet when you look at his, he had a 60% completion percentage. Not great, but not bad. He threw for 16 touchdowns and four interceptions.
2: Four picks. Yeah, <laughs> Like that. Amazing numbers. Like
1: that's like Brady numbers. That's fantastic. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, and then he and he also rushed for, for four hundred and sixty yards and two touchdowns. Yeah. And I actually have long thought I don't know <laughs> what they were watching. He listen, was he a perfect quarterback? Was he Tom Brady or, or Aaron no. Rodgers? No, like he's not, yeah. but he he was doing he should be playing in the league right he's now. Fine.
2: Uh, My whole argument was always um Thirty-two, because once once he was getting blackboard, I was like, "Is he? Are there thirty-two quarterbacks that are better than him? Football only, and no no one's been able to refute me. I'm a Jets fan, so I would always use the Jets quarterback, whoever the quarterback happened to be at that time, <laughs> whether it was Ryan Fitzpatrick or Geno Smith, <laughs> whoever our quarterback was. They were never better than Colin Kaepernick, <laughs> so. Colin Kaepernick was, at worst, the 32nd best quarterback in
1: the NFL. <laughs> can't really, can't really use that. that right now, though. Sam Darnold's a good quarterback.
2: Yeah, Sam Darnold's good. Now, good. Now i got to use, like, different teams. With, there's a bunch of, like, now I don't know because he hasn't been out of the league for a while, blah, blah, blah. I get all that. But you're not telling me he's not better than like Mitch Trubisky or like, oh, <laughs> yeah. is, like no. or whoever,
1: whoever the, the Washington team is throwing out, whoever they're throwing yeah, yeah. out,
2: <laughs> whoever that person is. <laughs> and that would, that would be the whole argument with like on this side of the protest where it's like, people would say, Oh, he's a distraction. Ah, and I'm like, he's a distraction because we've made him into a distraction mm-hmm. because if he was just protesting and, you know, Everybody shut up, no one would have cared. But everyone, you know, felt really personally attacked because he's coming against racism. But like if you're only looking at X's and O's, he would be the best quarterback in Miami. He would be the best yeah. quarterback in Washington. Like there's several teams and you only need one. Like he only needs to be better than one for my argument to be valid that he should be in the NFL. Cool
1: yeah. stop. That about literally wraps up a lot of the questions that I had. You know, I, I, I did okay. have some follow ups, but that that was pretty much what it was. Um, you know, I I had envisioned in my head literally this this just question of just like does, does Black Lives Matter hate vets? And then you'd say no, and I'd go, cool, we can just wrap up the episode now. Um, <laughs> is there is there anything that? You know, I'm certainly ignorant in a lot of places. Is there anything that I didn't ask or, or bring up that you think is important to think about or talk about or consider?
2: Um we kinda touched on it, but I do think that the military needs more black leadership, uh leadership of color. There's a lot of uh junior so as soldiers of as black soldiers, we somewhat like subconsciously we will like create like a fraternity with each other. And we're like, we all connect with one another. Most of my good friends from the military are black. And it's just because we're all going through this shared experience together. And not to say that, you know, we weren't over the other thing. We just acknowledged that we weren't in an ideal situation for us and we should stick together. I think the military itself, like leadership needs to do more, not necessarily, sensitivity training or something like that. But just acknowledging that this is a different experience for black people in the same way the military acknowledges, this is a different experience for women and both of those things are okay. They're just different and there's nothing wrong with, you know, being a black soldier junior enlisted, but it is different from being a white soldier junior enlisted, which is different than being, you know, an Asian soldier junior enlisted. But I think that by by not doing that, the military forces us in the silo. It forces, you know, black people to figure it out on our own and it just makes the whole experience a lot harder and it definitely makes it harder for the military to retain soldiers like me and, um, I don't know what our retention numbers are looking like. I know they really wanted me to come back and not a chance. <laughs> but I think long-term, if the military wants to retain junior enlisted soldiers and get them to move through the ranks, soldiers of color, they need to take a conscious step and acknowledge that we have a different experience and uh, you know, take time to either talk about it or address it. I'm not sure how, that should be done and what it should look like, but it's definitely
1: a different experience. Kind of reminds me a little bit of um, the coming of the Marine Corps. General Berger actually just put out this um, press statement that, um, that was about uh, how or why he, he banned the Confederate flag on bases. And, and it was, I mean, he walked the line a little bit in some places where I I feel like he could have come out more strongly or should have, but at the very least, you know, and and I know it's not a lot, but at the very least he was saying, um, there are people in in the Marine Corps that have different experiences and they interpret that flag in very different ways than you do. Mm -hmm. And so it's, we're not going to have it around. Um, and Mm -hmm. it, it sounds a little bit like what you're talking about, maybe.
2: Yeah, no, that's definitely along the same line where some of us grew up. You know, in fear of that flag Mm -hmm. and trying it around for people is, you know, it's going to it's going to affect me differently than it will affect someone else.
1: I really appreciate you uh, joining uh, joining me for the uh, for this podcast. And uh, thank you. That was Mo Brown. He's a black man, an army veteran and a gracious person for helping clarify a few things. Now, as you just heard, when we talk about race and patriotism, it gets immensely complicated. As Mo said, he has lived a different experience from me, a white guy. Accordingly, there are some issues that need correcting. However, I caution anyone who thinks that this means Mo or Kaepernick or people within the Black Lives Matter movement are not patriotic. Instead, I'd like to leave you with a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s iconic speech. You know the one. He said, When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He's not trashing America in this speech, any more than Mo or Colin Kaepernick or the Black Lives Matter movement are. Instead, this is a call to finally live up to the fantastic ideal written within our founding documents. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty damn patriotic. Now, I know I butchered Dr. King's cadence, so to take us out, let's just listen to the clip from the man himself.
0: In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to whichever American was to fall heir. This note was a promise to all men, yes, black men as well as white men would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds.